0: UVA and Virginia Tech went to the ACC tournament knowing they'd need to make deep runs to earn NCAA bids. UVA faltered, but the Hokies, they went all the way. They join Richmond, Longwood, and Norfolk State now in the big dance. All that and more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 79 of Teal and Barber, Richmond Times Dispatch, and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here, as he always does, the 14-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you, my friend?
1: Good Monday afternoon, Mike. Day after Selection Sunday.
0: Yeah, it's it should be. Uh, it's kind of like the the day after New Year's or the day after any of those where you you need the extra day to recover from everything that went down on Selection Sunday, and this year it felt a a little extra with the trip to New York, getting back from Brooklyn after covering you and I were both there uh, in Brooklyn for the ACC tournament. Um, We had the added wrinkle this year of UVA not being part of the NCAA selection. So kind of hanging on until nine o'clock to, to see the NIT field. But uh, we did, we, we did get to spend that week up in Brooklyn And, and David, there was a lot of debate, um, you know, from, from different media members over whether or not it's a good site for the ACC to rotate the tournament to. I, I have my thoughts I'll share here in a minute, but, but what's your take? Is, is Brooklyn worth having in the rotation?
1: Every now and then it probably is, Mike, and here's why. It's far flung for a lot of the ACC base. It is expensive. Those, are, are, those points are duly noted. But as an ACC fundraiser, once explained to me about why the tournament was going to Brooklyn. He said, it's not about how many people are in the arena. Mm. It's who is in the arena. Translation, not just ACC athletic directors, but ACC presidents and their development people, they like to court their New York-based alums and donors. And what better venue to do that courting In college basketball's premier conference tournament. Mm -hmm. They really like it. Now, whether after three times in Brooklyn, that has lost its shine, I don't know. I haven't revisited the topic uh, with this particular fundraiser. But I can tell you that is a primary reason this event went to New York.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It reminds me of some of these football caravans or practices, spring practices that teams take on the road um, for recruiting, right? They want to be in those kids' area, in those kids' neighborhoods. It's the same thing with your big donors, right? Come to them, bring your product to them. Uh, I personally, I like the tournament being there occasionally. Uh, I would argue for every four years so that every class, and I know if you're Duke with the one and duns, you don't really have classes anymore, but any three or four-year player has a good shot of of getting to play um, in Brooklyn at least once. I I heard from a lot of kids this week, from a lot of schools who were from New York and were happy to be home and playing in front of not just family, right? Because at this level, your family probably gets to come to games, but friends, um, guys you went to high school with, right? The the girl maybe you wanted to date in high school. Like, they pop into the arena when, when it's in your home city and I think a lot of kids like that. I thought a lot of players also mentioned guys with no ties to New York who had never been, a- and they thought it was cool to, you know, yeah, be in an NBA arena for sure, and and but just to to be in New York and to experience a little bit of that. And they don't have as much uh, downtime and freedom as, as maybe <laughs> people sometimes think, so uh, there is a ton of sightseeing getting done. But I think the chance to visit New York and, and play in, in, in um, an NBA arena is still a really cool thing. Now, I say that all acknowledging – that my, my viewpoint is biased because I want to go to Brooklyn. You think? I want to go to Brooklyn every week for the food. I want to go for the pizza. I want to go for the pastrami sandwiches. I want to go for the cheesecake. I want to go for the bagels. In fact, I'm sitting here eating uh, a cream cheese bagel that I, I smuggled the bagel down from, from New York in my bag. So my biases is on the food front. David, did you enjoy some of the other aspects of New York aside from the basketball?
1: Not really. Uh <laughs> it it was it was cold and windy. It wasn't great for walking, though I trudged to the arena and back every day. I did one morning uh venture down into lower Manhattan and met a friend for for lunch and ha- had a good meal there. But otherwise, not not really. And I know I I joined you and, and Gene Wong, our friend from the Washington Post from for some New York pizza one day for lunch. But just in terms of wandering around and such, I prefer DC for the ACC tournament. I often tell people the story that in 2016 on semifinal Friday with the games at night, I just went out and walked around and I found myself down by the White House. And all of a sudden I look up in the sky and here comes Marine One landing (laughs) on the South Lawn to pick up President Obama. And I'm like... I'm not in Greensboro anymore. <laughs> I mean, to, to, to me, it, it was such a cool moment. You know, I'm, I'm there for the tournament and, and, and that evening I'm, I'm going to be courtside covering basketball, but I was able just to get out and about and you stumble into something like that. It was like, dang, this is really, really cool.
0: Yeah, the only person who comes and goes to Greensboro by helicopter, I believe, is Jim Beheim, and that's because he (laughs) wants to get out so quick, so he's got the chopper waiting on the roof there of the Coliseum so he can get out of town. Uh, I have no objections to D.C., which, by the way, is also a very good uh, food town. Uh, You could just eat at Jose Andres restaurants. There's four or five of them within walking distance of where we usually stay um, and, and have a great meal uh, experience in dc and uh old ebbett grill is one of my five favorite restaurants anywhere i've been in this country so uh, i i would not fight you over uh dc i'd, I'd be i'd welcome that trip as well and uh, but yeah I, I think also you're right about the weather in new york and you know uh, gene wong who you mentioned and i um and luke de one day we did do some kind of just wandering and and, and walking and um that allowed us to experience a little more of the, the street food culture, which I think is such a great part of New York. Uh, Gina and I found some some great dumplings and congee um, in our wandering, and, and things like that to me uh, make a trip a, a little extra special. David, it was a very special trip for Virginia Tech and their basketball program. Uh, to the victor go the spoils, right? So let's start with the Hokies and their first ever ACC championship. David, going in, I think you and I both felt like this team was playing well. They were clicking. They could make some noise, make a deep run. I think we had mentioned, you know, hey, this is a team that could get hot and go to the finals. I never crossed over the bridge to they could win it all. Did you or, or were you pleasantly surprised by just how well the Hokies fared in Brooklyn?
1: All along, Mike, I liked their bracket when the, the, the seedings were finalized. I just thought Notre Dame in the quarters was really a good matchup for Tech. Tech having beaten the Irish in Blacksburg early in the ACC season, and I thought Notre Dame would have trouble defending the Hokies, especially on the perimeter, and that proved to, to be true as well. The one thing that gave me pause was how Virginia Tech closed the regular season with the loss at Clemson. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'm maybe I'm overthinking this and, and they're not as good as I think they are. But, you know, once they got past Clemson in that immediate rematch and they were lucky to survive. Darius <laughs> Maddox doesn't make that jumper at the Horn in overtime. We're not having this conversation. They walk out of New York, they're home Wednesday night. They're in the NIT and none of this storybook... Uh, stuff happens. But you're you're right. It was an incredibly special weekend for this program. And I've had Virginia Tech people tell me they think it's the greatest sports moment in Virginia Tech history. I think it's the greatest basketball moment. I still believe that the regular season finale in 1999 at Lane Stadium (laughs) to beat Boston College to assure that the Hokies were going to New Orleans to play Florida State for the national championship. To me, that's the signature moment for Virginia Tech sports. But some Hokie fans I've interacted with, they beg to differ.
0: Well, I'll say, I mean, one, certainly there's the element of of recency bias, which I get. Um, I think I I side with you, David, because if I think about Virginia Tech athletics, I think of two names. I think of Frank Beamer and I think of Michael Vick. Mm -hmm. Those are the first two names that jump into my head and both of them were involved in the game that you referenced. Now I do think in terms of its place in, in tech annals and in tech history, the fact that it was Duke, right? That helps. Oh, the fact that it
1: was Carolina and then Duke.
0: Yep. Three, three, two, one, not in that order, not in chronological order, but um, yeah, the two most storied programs in the ACC, the two blue bloods Duke, Mike Krzyzewski's final ACC tournament. Um, Virginia's first ever, Virginia Tech's first ever ACC championship. Um, If you made the argument that that was the most significant win in Tech Athletics history, I don't think you're off. I don't think you're off your rocker.
1: No, agreed. And not only did they beat Duke Duke in North Carolina, (laughs) Mike, you you were sitting there right next to me. In the second halves of those games, they owned Duke in North Carolina. They, They put their foot on the gas And it was absolutely remarkable. And I was struck, you know, here the Hokies are playing their fourth game in four days on Saturday night against a Duke team playing its third in in three. So you would think Duke would have more fuel at the end. But uh uh-uh, Virginia Tech had far more energy in that second half than Duke did. And to me, that was really impressive.
0: Yeah, you know, Mike Krzyzewski made that point that, that he thought his guys looked tired. And, and David, I, I I wanted to ask him, we ran out of time, but there's physical fatigue, right? You play a bunch of basketball, high-level basketball, you're going to be tired. Your body's going to be tired. Your muscles are tired. I think with Duke, there's a larger element of emotional and mental fatigue. Coach K's last year, the farewell tour, that big show for the Carolina game, um, which I I don't think it was a mistake in terms of that was special, right? That was once in in forever that that a coach has a run like that in his final game at Cameron. So I have no problem with them doing that. But I do think it's important to recognize that took a toll on the players. Emotionally, mentally, it took a toll coming to Brooklyn and the expectation being you're going to win and you're going to send Mike Krzyzewski out with, with a, ACC title, another ACC title. I think that takes its emotional and mental toll, and then getting to the title game, right? You're there. You know, things haven't been easy. That Syracuse game, you really had to sweat out. You're there. I just think there was an emotional fatigue with that team, um, and to Virginia Tech's credit, they exploited it by playing great basketball.
1: They, they really do. I mean, Hunter Kator on on Saturday and 31 points and seven threes, and uh, Keve Aluma all four days. Justin Mutz, his all-around skills, you just that, that blue-collar approach that he brings to the game. M- Mike Bray just raved about him after the quarterfinals. And Darius Maddox, not only to, to, to save him against Clemson, but arguably, against North Carolina, he scores a career high twenty. He had that four-point play right in front of us there mm-hmm. when when things threatened to get a little sideways after that flagrant foul on Couture against R.J. Davis, and just you know, so many players c- contributed throughout the run, and in that regard. It's been a microcosm of the Hokies rise from last place in the league at two and seven to ACC tournament champions.
0: Yeah. And I think that you can't overstate what that adds to this story, um, that they were 0 and 4 in league play. They were 2 and 7 in league play. People wrote them off and rightfully so. I mean, I think we did, right? We, like, we got to a point where maybe didn't write them off. Always thought they could rebound and be good. But when the ACC championship, Go to the NCAA's with everything that had gone gone sideways for them. To me, that adds so much to the story, to, to the character of, of of Mike Young's team, to the leadership of Mike Young, uh, to the leadership of Kevin Aluma and Justin Mutz. And and you're right. You know, I I know the fans got on him. We've talked about this. Like, oh, why didn't he play Maddox more early? I think Mike Young brought Darius Maddox along at the right pace, right through just enough at him, got him better, got him ready, and then when they needed him, unleashed him. I, to me. That was brilliant coaching. Like The easy thing would do, would to do would be throw the kid into a 20, 25-minute-a-game role early on, and maybe he swims and maybe he sinks. Mike Young had him ready. Um, Sean Padula, for his role, had him ready. I think that part of the roster management w- was masterful this year. I think Mike Young deserves a ton of credit uh, for, for this team's run. And, and like you mentioned, so many guys contributed, and I don't mean contributed and you know got a rebound, made a play. I mean, contributed moments Mm -hmm. like Darius Maddox's shot in overtime against that's like up there in the in the all time of big shots in tech history. Right. If you're going to say that winning that ACC title and beating Duke, well, you can't separate that from Maddox. Mike Young said today on the Zoom with us. Right. So Darius Maddox doesn't hit that shot. We're coming home Thursday. Right. We're on their way. They're on their way home. Um So I think that that's huge. Storm Murphy hit a couple of really big threes in the Carolina game that I think sent the message, like, this isn't a fluke. We've outplayed you. We've got a big lead. You're going to make your run. Well, we're good enough to stop that run. I I thought Storm Murphy's shots against Carolina were huge. And then Hunter Couture. I mean, it's almost like underappreciated because of what he did in Tallahassee and and against Florida State, but, uh, you know, he's the MVP, with just the, the performance of, of a lifetime there against Duke and um, getting them done. And, and then, you know, the play that, that that I'm going to be writing about later today and that I just remember is Justin Mutz. And, and he's done, as you mentioned, so much for this team. But his dunk, that <laughs> two-handed dunk, over Paolo Bancaro with, I think, about 226, 227 to go. And he kind of hangs on the rim for a second. He stares down Bancaro, who's under him. The players will tell you, that was the moment that everybody, and I had fans email me and tweet at me, that was the moment that everybody kind of felt like, hey, the rest of this game, the next two minutes, is just a coronation ceremony.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And a big part of it is Mike Young.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: he is six and o now in that wild in conference tournament finals five and0 at Wofford, one and0 in the aCC cat can coach now in a big way and and i i was under the mistaken impression mike just having watched a little bit of his Wofford teams that he really was an offensive guy that he could x and o on that end of the floor like anybody else in the country. And I kind of just thought, eh, defensively, maybe, maybe not. Uh-uh. He get He's getting it done on both ends. They are fierce defenders, especially on, on the perimeter. I, th- I think Couture deserved to be uh, all defensive team in the league. I voted for him. You can make the argument that Justin Mutz did as well. He's a very effective defender on the interior or perimeter. He's he's so versatile. But, you know, the one moment that I remember there in the second half against Duke where it was getting a little tight and he didn't call timeout. He just calmly stood there on the sideline and held up five fingers. And what happened? Storm Murphy just attacked Jeremy Roach off the dribble. Roach was saddled with four fouls. Mike Young knew that he'd have to be soft defensively and Murphy just goes right to the rack and gets a very important layup. And that's coaching, that's trust in your guys, and that's your guys responding to that trust.
0: Yeah, you know, there's been sort of a knock almost on Mike Young since he's got to Tech that, oh, he's just building a, a Wofford roster, right? He's building a roster to, to take Wofford to a title. You got Kevi Aluma, who's a transfer from Wofford, Hunter Couture, who was a recruit for him to, to Wofford and then switched to Tech. Storm Murphy comes over after playing for him at, at Wofford. I think there's two things there, though. I think, number one, those guys maybe were a little under-recruited, right? And and, and Mike Young knew not just what they were, but what they were becoming, Um now, I think he'll tell you, and I think Kevin Aluma has said, I don't think either of them expected him to be first team, all conference level player, which he's been for the last two years. I mean, Kevin Aluma has been that good, uh, but they expected, you know, 14 and 10 from him that he'd be good. Storm Murphy, um, you know, he would be a good leader and a good point guard. Some of the big shots, some of the big plays, maybe w- would that translate? Who knows? Um. But I think these kids deserve a ton of credit, and Mike does too, for trusting them, for developing them. They deserve credit for the way they've developed, and they deserve a lot of credit for, especially Storm Murphy, the moxie that they bring, right? Like maybe there's a little chip on the shoulder of still proving they belong, but I think they're past it. I think they play with the confidence of, yeah, of course we belong, and look what we can do with this opportunity. Um, And then the last thing is what you just talked about. I think Mike Young (laughs) is a good enough coach – to take the kind of guys who aren't McDonald's All-Americans. They're not mcdonalds all americans they are not one and duns. but they're good, solid players. They fit his system. They develop and get better over the years. And I think Mike's in-game X's and O's coaching, is it's like the sixth man out there. Um, I really like what he's built, and, and I understand why people had pause with all these Wofford guys coming over, but hey, they just won the school's first ACC championship with with all these Wofford guys.
1: And Mike, that speaks to a couple different things. Some of the conference players are pretty good, you know, or mid, there are mid major guys who transfer up all the time, who then thrive. Carly Jones last, last season at Louisville, right. He came from Radford and Kat was, you know, first team all ACC. So just because you get guys out of the portal who are not household names you know, that, that doesn't mean, you know, look at Jake LaRavia, what he did at Wake Forest this year, coming from Indiana State. So a, a transfer doesn't have to come from, from another um, Power Five school. And I, I thought it was really important. Not, uh, and I don't know about you, but I wondered Saturday night, all right, how are they going to handle? This is the biggest stage any of these young men has have been on. Mm-hmm. And what happens? right out of the shoot, and I'm sitting here looking at my play-by-play. Naheem Aline, three off the right wing. Second possession, and this is what I remember. Murphy crossed over Tre- or Trevor Keels like you could not believe and knocked down a right wing three. No, 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 right wing two. Then Couture three. Couture three, Murphy three. It was like 14 points on their first six possessions. It's like, you think we're nervous? I think not.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean about that. Moxie is. is yeah, they've, they've crossed over from chip on your shoulder only gets you so far, right? Chip on your shoulder only gets you so far. It's great motivation. It's great in the off season. It's great to push you to prove you belong. But when you step on the floor with Duke or with Carolina in the ACC tournament. It's got to be more than chip on your shoulder. It's got to be a real belief that you can do it. And and credit to all of those kids and to Mike Young, because you're absolutely right. Uh, From the opening tip in both of those games, you got the feeling like this was a heavyweight fight. These were two equal combatants, not some kind of David and Goliath story. And everybody loves the David and Goliath story. And you can make the argument because of of Duke's talent that that, that's always going to be what it is. But watching it sit in courtside. It felt more like the heavyweight fight analogy, like they were going to go blow for blow. And then all of a sudden, Tech turned it on and, and you know, Duke was wounded. Right. And they were trying to guard their ribs and, and slump into the ropes and, and just buy time. And uh, Tech took it to him, And that made it all the more impressive to win in that fashion.
1: Yeah. And, and Mike, it was almost as if it was coming full circle. Because I remember Virginia Tech's game at Cameron, where I think the final margin was, I, don't, I forget what the final score was, but it was between eight and 12 points. But Tech had really competed well against Duke. And I believe this made him, this dropped him to 0-2 in the league. This is in late December. And Mike Young's up there at the podium in the press room. And as he's walking out, he encountered Bucky Waters, the old Duke coach. Still sharp as attack bless his heart. He's in his eighties, but he comes to all the Duke games and Bucky summoned coach young over and, and, and Mike has a soft spot for the coaches who have come before him. And Bucky just whispered to him. He goes, I really, really like your team. And Mike looked him in the eye and said, coach, so do I, we're going (laughs) to win a lot of games. And I, and I, I don't think it was lip service. I think Mike young believed that. And it showed th- throughout the season because he-, he kept telling anyone who would listen, it's going to turn. It's going to turn. And maybe he was saying it to convince himself. We'll never know. <laughs> but eventually it got through. And clearly, you know, if they don't win all four of these games, yeah, they-, they would not have made the NCAA field. And that's an ACC problem that we can address, maybe even a separate podcast. But consider this, Mike. Virginia Tech wins the ACC tournament. They're an 11 seed in the bracket, which matches the lowest seed ever for an ACC champion. NC State was an 11 in '87. Mike Young, as a Southern Conference champion at Wofford in 2019, was a 7 seed. Yeah, yeah. How about the, that?
0: The, the ACC has some issues. We're going to get into that a little bit later today. Uh, when you think about the selection, you think about who was in, who was out, and the teams that are in. How were they seated? Where were they sent? Um, we're going to get to that, but certainly by winning in Brooklyn, you took all of the, the debate, right? All the question, all the anxiety, all the worry out for Virginia Tech. They were in the field uh, for the second straight year, automatic bid to the NCAAs. David, we got the bracket, as we mentioned, Sunday, they played Texas, uh, in a 6-11 game out in Milwaukee. You're going to be there for that. Uh, Texas team coached by Chris Beard, who mm-hmm. uh, we got a little familiar with there in, in 2019 in the final four. Uh what do you make of this matchup and what what are your initial thoughts on, on what Tech can do? I think it's a fairly decent
1: matchup for Virginia Tech, Mike. Now, you have to be careful with momentum and how teams close and and putting too much stock into it, but you're looking at a Texas team that's lost its last 3 games, including in the in the opening its its first game in the Big 12 tournament to TCU. Conversely, the Hokies are off a four-game run in Brooklyn. So does that, you know, Virginia tech's going to come in there. I I, I don't know. And I do know that. And as everyone does that, Chris Beard is a defensive Mm -hmm. master. I mean, he's, he's Tony Bennett level when it comes to, to scheming defensively and he'll need to be at his best against Mike Young and the Hokies.
0: Yeah. I thought uh, UVA point guard Hey Clark actually said something I really liked to me when we were talking about momentum and, uh, Basically, I was asking me, does it matter? They had been playing real well at the end of the season. Does momentum matter? And he basically said, heck, yeah, momentum matters. Not for all of the stuff that sports writers get caught up in, but what does momentum mean? Momentum means you've been playing pretty damn well. (laughs) That's what matters, right? So does it matter that Virginia Tech has won these games? Had they lost a close one somewhere in there? Is that, you know, the, the deal breaker? His point was, if you're playing at that level, where you're winning night in, night out, and for Virginia Tech, four in a row uh, with that kind of competition, yeah, momentum matters. Sure, you feel good, and sure you got the the juju and all that kind of stuff going, but it means you're playing good basketball, and uh, that's what you need to do. And David, for the week, they played the best basketball in the ACC, which brings us to this week's edition of Take It or Leave It.
1: Thank you, Mike. After beating the top three seeds in Brooklyn, Virginia Tech is the best team in the ACC? Let's start with David. I'm leaving that one. (laughs) The best team in the ACC is still the team the Hokies beat Saturday night in Brooklyn. Now, whether Duke is emotionally spent here at the end of Mike Krzyzewski's farewell tour, I do not know. But I do know That that squad, when you look at who takes the court, is the most gifted team in the ACC. And when playing its best, the team that beat Gonzaga, the team that beat Kentucky, the team that won the ACC regular season
0: outright,
1: that's the best team.
0: All right, David, thank you. Mike? I'm going to go with the Hokies, David, and here's why. Duke is the most talented team. There's no question. Um, they're, They're guys should be able at any moment to, to break a, a slump, a dry spell, by getting to the basket. They should at any moment be able to clamp down and get a stop. Maybe it's emotional fatigue. Maybe they haven't come together. Maybe one or two of these one and duns are, are closer to done <laughs> than they are to their one. Um, whatever the reason, they haven't really put it all together. They've been very good, but they haven't put it all together uh, the way their talent would indicate they could. North Carolina has a higher ceiling to me. Than Virginia Tech right like when North Carolina shows up and is playing hard and what they have around Armando Baycott and what he can do to take over a game but the best team in the ACC the one that's playing and getting contributions from everybody the one that is uh, unflappable defensively uh, playing it I think almost a Virginia level defensively night in night out um, uh, the one with inside scoring and outside punch and guys who can put it on the deck and get to the rim. And the one, as we talked about with Storm Murphy playing with all that moxie, I think it's Virginia Tech. So yes, it's semantics. Who's the best? Duke is the most talented. The least surprising team, if they won the national title out of this group, would be Duke. But I'm going to go with Virginia Tech as the best team in the ACC because of that word team. I think they're connected. Uh, Mike Young used that word. He used the, the word a couple of weeks ago. Get that edge back. They've got their edge. They're playing connected. They don't really, to me, have a weakness. Now that they've developed some depth, that's what we talked about going in. Oh, there was no bench, there's no depth, you know, one injury or, or one overtime game and they're in trouble. They've developed that. I think Virginia Tech is the best all around team in the ACC, and, and I think that's why they hoisted the trophy in Brooklyn. Now, going in, I thought UVA had a better shot maybe to be that team. Uh, obviously, this season didn't go that way in, in Charlottesville for Tony Bennett and the Cavaliers. They go to Brooklyn, David. They did open with a win. It was was an ugly one against Louisville, a one-point win, but Tony Bennett <laughs> called it beautiful because they found a way, right? So that's what it's all about. And then came an even uglier loss to Carolina. They set a, a record for offensive ineptitude in the first half. The, the offense this year just never found its way. David, what were your takeaways from Virginia kind of going into Brooklyn and, and now coming out of Brooklyn?
1: Ed, you, the, the Louisville game, Mike, almost foreshadowed. <laughs> The, the quarterfinal ag- against North Carolina. And, and whereas, as soon as the bracket was determined, I liked Virginia Tech's half, mm-hmm. I thought Virginia's was really suboptimal. In fact, a buddy of mine who's a huge Virginia fan, he DM'd me immediately after Carolina beat Duke at Cameron yep. to, to sew up the third seed and said, this result is not good. And he was right, because Carolina is a bad matchup Absolutely, f- for, for UVA. And we saw it at the Dean Dome earlier this season when Armando Baycott went 29-21, and 21, if memory serves, the first 2020 game against the Cavs since Tim Duncan a generation ago. And you, you just got the feeling that, yeah, Virginia's going to get past Louisville, but it's going to be a roadblock against the Tar Heels. What we didn't realize was that that roadblock was going to be so incredibly unattractive and unappealing. Yeah, you know, that 13-point that first half was just, that was grim. Yeah. You know, I've never seen a game quite like this where one squad shoots 38%. I mean, they're struggling, and they're ahead at halftime by 20. That's what Carolina did shot 38% in the first half and went to the locker room up three touchdowns.
0: You ever Mm -hmm. seen anything like that? Well, David, if you go back, we've seen it with Virginia in their non-conference games. Oh, okay. Where their defense... Right, not the same thing. Not on this stage. This is supposed to be more even. We've seen Virginia do this in some non-conference mismatches where the defense is just stifling. And you're wondering, are they going to get to 20 points at halftime? And then you look up and you realize at the other end, Virginia hasn't been very good (laughs) offensively. uh, But the defense is just so much. Now, I think Carolina's defense was very good in this game. But Virginia certainly has struggled offensively all year. And, and like your buddy, I think your, your buddy was astute to point that out. I thought the second biggest loser when Carolina pounded Duke and Cameron was Virginia yeah. because it would have been a matchup with Miami. Miami. Who they twice. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a good matchup. Hey, Miami's a good team. And Miami reached the, the, the semifinals. That's a good matchup for Virginia. Carolina, a bad matchup. So, yeah, they didn't get a break. That being said, you got to do more, right? You got to play better than that. And, and, and like I said, the offense just never found its way this year. Jaden Gardner was was very good. Armand Franklin was very disappointing. A um, Clark was Kihei Clark, right? He, he had moments where he could take over. He made some clutch shots, but he's not a dominant scoring point guard. That's not his game. Uh, next up for the Cavaliers is the NIT and they're actually going to host Mississippi State, even though Mississippi State is the third seed in, in their bracket. Um, the Bulldogs have some renovation going on at their arena, so uh, Virginia gets to host. David, if you're Tony Bennett, what do you want to get out of playing in the NIT?
1: Experience, postseason experience, further postseason experience. Some of these guys already have it. Um, what I, I would present a history lesson to, to this team, and it would be aimed at those who are coming back. And I would take them back nine years to mm-hmm. 2013, when Virginia finished 11 and 7 in the ACC, but did not make the NCAA tournament field. Went to the NIT, and then the following year, ACC regular season and tournament champion, reached the Sweet 16 in Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. against Michigan State. Something, something like this. It's it's a disappointment. But it's not you know, a bottoming out. It's not like you finished in 10th place in the league and you're below 500. You just weren't quite good enough to get into the NCAA bracket. This can be a stepping stone. This can be motivation.
0: Sounds like you got the, the makings of a column in your notebook there. But yeah, you're 100% right. I, <laughs> I think that if I'm Tony Bennett and he always talks about, and, 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 hey, what program in America can better talk about? Sometimes you have a setback but you can use it to fuel what's coming, right? I mean, UMBC to the national championship, that's never going to be outdone. So for this group, it's like, hey, you get your, your UMBC light, 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 super light. <laughs> you, you had a little bit of a dip. You ended up in the NIT. Go play well. Go get some momentum. Go get some experience and make that part of your journey for what you're going to become. Uh, no coach in America sells that message better than Tony Bennett, uh, and no program has more experience with it than, than Virginia. Um go back to when they lost in the Elite Eight, uh, you know, to Syracuse, right? And, and and I'm sitting there courtside booking my plane and hotel for the Final Four, and then it unravels. Those can be moments that derail your program, or they can be moments that push you on and along the way, further, further, further. Um, and I think you're right. I think that's what Virginia needs to do with with this matchup with Mississippi State. Uh, if they get through to potentially the lowest scoring game in, in NCAA history when they face North Texas, uh, boy, that'll be that'll be something to watch. Hopefully from afar. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, if you can get your way to New York, I think there, there's some real good experience there and um, wind your way through the bracket. It's not the bracket you want to be in, but it's the bracket you find yourself in. Now, Virginia Tech, Longwood, Richmond. Norfolk State, they found their way into the bracket you want to be in, the, the big dance. David, let's take a look at that, and let's start with those Virginia schools. Uh, Richmond had to go out and, and win the A-10 tournament. Well, that's what they did, and in doing so, knocked Dayton out. Uh, Dayton's in the NIT. They can't host because they've got the first four games there. Uh, Longwood won their conference tournament. Norfolk State won their conference tournament. Virginia Tech won their conference tournament. So that's how <laughs> the Virginia schools got there this year, Uh Which of those schools do you think can make the deepest run?
1: Virginia Tech. The other schools just have incredibly difficult draws. I mean, you look at the Spiders, they're getting. You've seen Iowa. We both saw Iowa play Virginia at JPJ in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. The Hawkeyes, Mike, are second in the country in offensive efficiency. They can flat out shoot it. And Keegan Murray is a baller. And I. I just, I know Richmond could end up being a trendy pick. It's a 12 5 game. The Spiders have such a history of upsets in this tournament. And I think that kind of entices people to, to pick them in the bracket. I just think that's a mighty difficult uh, first round game for, for Chris Mooney's team. And, and I admire them. I, I watched a good bit of that championship game yesterday against Davidson. And you talk about two guys who can X and O now. And Bob McKillop and, and Chris Mooney, but just to see those super seniors for the Spiders, you know, Jacob Gilliard and, and Grant Golden and company, you know, who, who came back, you know, they thought they were going to be in the bracket in 2020 and then COVID hit. Last season, COVID hit that program harder than most, which kind of derailed their NCAA aspirations. So to see them get that tournament bid, it was really cool. And you, I mean, CBS showed the Mooney family, Chris's wife and their children in the stands as that game was winding down. And they were just, they were weeping, Mike. I mean, they were so overcome first with the tension of the moment, and then the joy.
0: That's what thats what March is all about, right? That's why we love it so much. And it's been a drought. It's been a while for Richmond uh, and Chris Mooney to, to get to the NCAA tournament. And, um, you know, there was a point where it looked like they were either going to be regulars there or he was going to bolt for a bigger job. So I, a big moment for them. You know, Iowa and Purdue, who, who we got to see head-to-head there, uh, kind of standing in the way for, for Richmond and Tech, um, I think that's tough. Uh, we talked about the Texas matchup, but I think you're right. I, th- I think the Hokies, I just think the Hokies have the most firepower, right? Yeah. Uh, if I ask you uh, of those teams, who's the best team? Well, it's Virginia Tech. So I, that's why I think, you know, Longwood's going to be interesting because they're such a great story. And, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with them to Indianapolis. I'm going to talk to some of their players this week, talk to some guys out there. I know they're going to tell me, hey, we're not just happy to be here, right? We're here to compete. And that's the right attitude. But mm-hmm. I hope at the same time, I hope that they're happy to be there, because <laughs> oh. because it's super cool and it's a super accomplishment. Yeah. And Norfolk State too, when you when you do it, you know people say, "Well, somebody's going to win that league. Somebody's going to." But all the other teams in the league wanted what you have, right? And Longwood has it, and Norfolk State has it. So um, yes, you play to win, and no, you're not satisfied just to be there. But please be happy to be there, because it's it's a tremendous accomplishment.
1: Oh, 100%. And, and, and they have all the pressure, too. Those are one-bid leagues. And no, both Norfolk State and Longwood won those regular seasons. And now it used to be, what did that get you? Nothing. But at least now, as the regular season champion of of, of a conference that is only going to get one NCAA bid, if you stumble in your league tournament, you are assured of participating in the NIT which is really, really cool. I'm glad they instituted that. But Norfolk State, I mean, poor Spartans, not only do they get the reigning national champion Baylor Bears, well, they get them in Fort Worth <laughs> in their home state, whereas Longwood gets a, I think, a, a pretty respectable seating as a 14, then draws to me a baffling three seed. Tennessee just won the SEC tournament. The SEC is arguably the best league in the country. Tennessee wins that tournament and yet doesn't move up to the two line. That to me was one of the biggest surprises of the bracket last night. And there the Vols are uh, in in Longwood's way.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at that, um, that's a fourteen-three game, right? And you go through the bracket. If you just told me, hey, Longwood's going to get a fourteen seed, I might be tempted to pick them. Uh, you know, you look around at, at you know who are some of those other fourteen-three games, Texas Tech. That's not the end of the world in a matchup. Um, going down the bracket, you've got Purdue, who I talked about. I think that's tough. But Tennessee, to me, is a two, maybe borderline one. Yeah. That makes it really tough. So just like you said with, with the 12, you tell me Richmond's a 12. I say, well, let me let me take a look because that might be a team I want to pick. And then and then I look at the five, and I think that's the second most underseeded team in, in the bracket in Iowa. So yeah. uh, one committee thing about- showed some respect there, right? with their Mm -hmm. numbers, and then they didn't do them a favor with their opponents.
1: Yeah, really agreed. And one thing about the Hokies' half of the draw there, if they can survive Texas, and I think that's a pretty large if. I mean, Texas is – they're a sixth seed for a reason. Texas beat Kansas this year. Uh, Texas knows what – and as we talked about, Chris Beard can really coach them up. But if the Hokies get to that second round, presumably – against Purdue. What's Purdue's big issue? Defense. I mean, the Boilermakers are only 100th nationally in defensive efficiency. They had better be careful if, they, if they're playing Sunday against Virginia Tech. I, I think that's a game the Hokies could
0: steal. We'll see. Man, it's probably what we talk about all the time with the Hokies. They're going to get inside scoring from Illumin Mutz. They're going to get great defense. Are those three pointers falling? Yeah. And if they are against a team like Purdue, watch out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I could, and that potentially would send Virginia t- well would send Virginia Tech to the East semifinals in Philadelphia against Coach Calipari.
0: Yeah, that's a Kentucky team that I think a lot of people, including myself, really like. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the ACC would be thrilled though. If Tech gets through that far, I think the ACC would be thrilled. The ACC got five teams in. David, it's pretty clear it would have been four if Tech lost to Duke, right? They weren't going to get that. And of the ones that got in, Notre Dame's in the first four, right? So the ACC, (laughs) we went in saying, does the committee look down on the ACC the way maybe the media and the fans have all year? David, I thought the answer was a resounding yes. Wake Forest is out. Tech would have been out and Notre Dame's playing in the first four. The committee did not smile, and rightfully so, upon the ACC this year.
1: Agreed with the rightfully so part. Wake Forest has no beef. You play a non-conference schedule that's ranked in the 340s nationally, and you're a Power 5 school, that's what's going to happen if you're borderline NCAA tournament. Now, I don't fault Steve Forbes for that. Second-year coach, he had no idea what he had on his roster. He had nine newcomers this collection of transfers that he was unsure how they would all mesh. It turns out, thanks to him and them, they meshed far better than folks expected, and they became a very good team. But you can't lose your first round NCAA or ACC tournament game to Boston College and expect to make the NCAA tournament. You just can't. So I didn't think Wake Forest got the shaft by any stretch. The crazy thing, Mike, is you look at where the ACC teams were placed. Notre Dame was the runner-up to Duke. Notre Dame was the second seed in the ACC tournament and was one of the last four in the NCAA bracket. And the tournament started seeding the field in 1979. This is the first time that only one ACC team has been a top four regional seed. Duke is a two in the West, opposite Gonzaga. Good luck and Godspeed there to the Blue Devils, even though they beat Gonzaga. But uh, you know, it is—it was a very bleak selection Sunday for a conference that is second to none when it comes to NCAA tournament performance.
0: Yeah, yeah, but you're you're not getting selected as you're saying. You're not getting selected off history. You're you're getting selected off what have you done for me lately? My only objection to the way the committee viewed or handled the ACC, there doesn't seem to be any consistency in my mind with how you finish the season, right? Like Wake Forest, probably in then that bad loss to open the ACC tournament. Now they're out. So the ACC tournament really, really mattered for Wake Forest. Virginia Tech. Finishes the year just on a hot streak, a bender, and you telling me that if that game comes down to the wire with Duke and they don't win it, they're out? There's an inconsistency there in terms of, you know, does it matter what you do in your conference tournament? And I think that needs to be maybe in writing, right? Maybe in stone, kind of hammered out a little more. How important is it? what you do in your conference tournament and how you finish. Certainly getting upset in your conference tournament shouldn't throw out a whole year's worth of work. You made the point. Wake Forest, they were iffy already. Yes. Even though the numbers look, they were iffy already. Um, Virginia Tech, the way you finish, doesn't throw out a whole year's worth of work. But, man, I mean, we're not talking about the last week of the season getting hot. We're talking about the last month and a half. Um, I'd love to see that firmed up a, a little bit more maybe in the future. David, how about your overall impression of the bracket? and? Um, not some of this nitpicking that I'm doing with the seeds I don't like and the value, but who do you like? Well, who are some of the teams that um, either from a high seed you think can get it done or, or from a low seed that you think can make a run?
1: Well, first of all, to your point, Mike, about how you, you close the season. Time was when that was important. In fact, a team's record in the last 10 games would be listed right. on its team sheet that each committee member had on a, on his laptop, his or her laptop. That's no longer the case. In fact, when you look at a team sheet, the games are not even listed in chronological order. That bothers me. They are they are grouped by the four quadrants, mm-hmm. and you'd have to be Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man to somehow organize those games chronologically in your head. It, it's impossible. So so truly how you finish the season as opposed to how you began the season, it does not matter right now. And that's just the way the the basketball committee has decided to play this. So unless those team sheets get changed, there's really no way. Now that doesn't prevent a committee member from saying, Hey guys, look, Virginia Tech has won 12 of its last 14 games here. The Hokies are really playing well. How about we, we kind of wake up here and notice that a committee member can certainly say that, but the data point is not in front of them.
0: But David, you know, this. that reminds me of, can I can I go to the voting poll, the polling station on election day and write in a candidate? Absolutely, I can. And can I have talked to my friends and, and other voters about, sure, I can. But if you're not on the ballot, 99% of the time, you're not winning. And so that data point to me is not on the ballot. And the thing I don't get is go on any roster for any college team. You can sort it by jersey number, name, hometown, it seems to me the NCAA ought to be able to put together something where you've got your games broken up by quad, and then you can click on something and say, what order did these come in? So you can see the progression. You can see the trend. You can see a team like Virginia. and I'm not saying that Virginia belonged in the NCAAs this year. They didn't. But you can see their improvement. You can see the hot finish for Virginia Tech. Um, to me, it's, it is a data point. Is it the most important thing? No. No. Um, but yeah, I have no problem if the committee wants to reward teams that got better throughout the year, because heck, that's what you're supposed to do.
1: Yeah, No, I I agree, and th- there would have to be some discussion among the the men's basketball committee, you know, the powers that be at, at, at the NCAA. Dan Gavitt, uh, maybe just reorganize the, the team sheets a little bit. Because like, like you said, how you, how you play at the end of the season, it, it should not be perhaps the determining factor, but I think it has to be at least one component that you study. You, know, you asked earlier, you know, who do I like overall and such? I value guard play and, and shooting. If, if you're looking for a team that, that a double-digit seed that might make a little noise, South Dakota State, mm-hmm. the Jackrabbits.
0: Aren't they fun?
1: Dude, 44% three point shooting is a hell of a game. (laughs) That's what they shoot on the season.
0: It's insane.
1: They've played 34 games and they're shooting 44% from three. And that they draw Providence in the opening round. And Providence had a great season and was especially strong early for a long time there. You know, the Friars were coasting along with, with, with two losses, but they staggered at the finish, which is why they end up on the four line rather than higher. And I just, man, I I looked at that, and I I just thought to myself, hmm, when I fill out my bracket, and and that has some potential impact because that's the game opposite Iowa and Richmond. If on the off chance the Spiders upset Iowa, they could be playing South Dakota State in a 12-13 game for the right to – Get to the Sweet 16 in a presumed matchup with uh, Kansas, top-seeded Kansas.
0: Yeah, it could could be a, a lot of fun, and um, I think this is going to be one of those years, at least for me, where the, the teams from the battle-tested conferences, and I mean this year, the Big Ten and the SEC, I I give them a. I just think they they're going to be the cream of the crop. Kentucky's a team I like going into this. I think this is one of those years where they had a bunch of talent and it came together and. and I think that team looks really good. I think what Calipari is doing there has a chance to be special, but I like, you know, Iowa. I like Purdue. I like Wisconsin. I like these teams that have been through that, that ringer this year, Uh, maybe because it's a little more wide open and there isn't that one team you're chasing. It it just feels like an even fight. And I know what those guys look like in a fight because we've seen them do it for a year.
1: True. And, And let's not forget, and I don't have the exact numbers, but every year, There is a team that comes out of that first four and then makes some noise. Is it your alma mater? Is it Indiana? Is it Notre Dame? Is it Wyoming? One of those four teams is going to turn around and beat someone in the main bracket.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. and. and Man, if it was just about offense, I think I'd take Notre Dame. But mm-hmm. you got to play defense too, and that that's been their issue all year. And um, you know, Rutgers has proven they can beat anybody, right? So, oh, some got, of
1: their wins are off the hook.
0: And that's what I mean about being through that Big Ten. You can beat anybody in the Big Ten. You can beat anybody in the country. Now, can you do it? How many times in a row to to get? to the sweet 16, the elite eight, the final four, that becomes the question. But, uh, David, do you, I don't have my final four done yet. I haven't filled out my bracket. Do you have a feeling about a national champion? Do you have a feel for who you like going into this thing?
1: I do. I've liked them all year. And I think they're going to pull a North Carolina. Gonzaga lost last year's national championship game to Baylor. I think it will turn around. Get back to the Final Four, just like Carolina did after losing to Villanova in sixteen, came back in seventeen, and and won it all in Phoenix. I think Gonzaga and Mark Few finally cut down the nets.
0: It would be a great story. You know, it would be a great story too. And I and I don't. Neither of us expect it to happen. But Mike Krzyzewski, right? Oh, my gosh. Lost the last game at Cameron. That's always going to sting. Lost the last ACC tournament final. That was sort of a missed opportunity for a special moment. Mike Krzyzewski doesn't have anything to prove, right? He doesn't need any more banners, any more trophies, any more rings. But, boy, wouldn't it be nice for college basketball? Because I think people get sideways sometimes with Mike Krzyzewski. Um you know, he's the villain, right? Well, yeah, if you play against him, he's the villain because he wins most of the time. A- anybody in that spot becomes the villain. And Duke basketball with Leitner and Grayson, now they've played that role of, of the villain. Mike Krzyzewski has meant so much to college basketball. I think he is gracious with the media. I, I know people get on him sometimes for some of the back and forth. And he had one in this tournament, right, where I think it was a kid from a college paper was asking him about trying to uh, back down, <laughs> use Trevor Keels more against uh, Storm Murphy in a post-up situation. and <laughs> I, I thought it was entertaining. It kind of went back and forth so Mike understood what he was saying. And then he sort of tongue-in-cheek thanked him for the advice on, on how to coach a basketball game. Uh, I think Mike Krzyzewski's been great with the media. I, I think he's been great for the game on and off the court. There's no arguing with his results. Um There is definitely a part of me that would love to see Duke and Mike Krzyzewski make that Final Four. Um, We can argue about celebrating him all year. It would be cool to celebrate him at a Final Four.
1: It would be. And Mike, how about that potential second-round game in Greenville on Sunday? Yeah. Mike Krzyzewski fighting to continue his coaching career against Tom Izzo and Michigan State. Though, I'm not convinced Sparty survives Davidson on friday
0: yeah michigan state to me is you could without any data points i don't want to see tom izzo in the ncaa tournament but i think you're right like <laughs> the committee sort of set duke up to fail there but they also might have set michigan state up to fail and um i think davidson's really good and i think the a10 is just a and i know that vcu didn't didn't get in dayton didn't get in those are good teams right mm-hmm. and, and and they deserve to be in the conversation i, I think what happened was fair the, the way it shook out but yeah um I think if you if you did what Davidson did in the A10 this year, you were tested. Uh, you did battle, and, and that's definitely one of the games I'm most looking forward to to watch. And I hope you all are looking forward to some March Madness. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. Good luck filling out those brackets, and please, join David and me again next time.